Good morning, Gateway Church. As Minnesotans, we truly love and appreciate spring, don't we? I mean, these last few days have been glorious, and we've been waiting a long, long time for them. And whatever you do outdoors is an incredible gift to enjoy. I mean, if you're working or playing or golfing or out on the river fishing or out on the lake fishing or whatever it is that you do outside, it's such an incredible gift. I have this flowering crab tree of some sort in my my front yard, and when it flowers in the spring, it's just beautiful. And it produces these small little berries that birds love to eat. And I don't think that tree has ever been trimmed. It's the kind of tree that you're supposed to trim. Now, we moved into our house a couple of years ago, and it was being overtaken by a vine. And so we dealt with the vine. We cut the vine at its root, and Stefan, I mean, we pulled and yanked and, and, and had a pile you know, of these vines, and we set that tree free. Nick's job was to trim it, all right? So it hadn't been trimmed. So a tree trimmer shows up in March. This guy was looking for work. He had a card, he had a pickup, he had all the tools, and, and it, was a, it was a nice day. It was like the only day in March. And I was home, take Mondays off, and I see this tree. It's, it's right in my, my view when, when, I'm, when I'm working there at the office. I can see it. It's right there. It's like, okay, I've been meaning to get this tree trimmed. He knocks on the door, gives me the card, and proceeds to talk me into paying him. We, we haggled a, a little bit, and finally we negotiated on a, on a deal. He trimmed up some of my other trees, but he went after this flowering crab tree. And, oh my word. I mean, I paid big money. I'm not going to tell you how much I paid. I'm embarrassed on that. And so he started hacking away at this tree. And when he was done, and there was like half the tree was on the ground. And I'm going, you, in my mind, I'm too nice to say it out loud. I was like, dude, I don't even know you. I don't think you've been working in the business for 20 years. You just wrecked my tree. There it is. And, and now I'm looking at this tree. It once had this potential. I remembered what it looked like in the spring last year. I'm looking at it now. And it is the most ugly tree around. It's hideous. It's late March. Now it's spring. I'm looking at that tree. And he kept saying to me, when, when I'd ask him some questions, I'd say, hey, don't you think you've, you're done, right? Are you done? He, I remember him saying, trust me. You got to trust me. This is all going to work out perfect. You're going you're to have this perfect tree when it's done in the spring. So here it is, spring. A couple months later, I'm looking at it. I'm more hopeful now than I, than I was before. I mean, it doesn't look that great, but it's got potential. And I'm working on this message. I'm believing it's not so beautiful to look at this tree It's going to produce these berries for the birds. I'm studying this passage, and I see myself in that tree. So that's what I look like. 
I mean, I don't look that great, but there's potential there. I'm reading this scripture today that we're looking at in our series, Living with Purpose, in Philippians. It's Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. This is the scripture that we're at today. You know it well. It's this paradox in the scripture. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, and I've underlined always obeyed. Paul was in a, in a jail in Rome. He's writing to the Philippians. He, Philippians. he has fond memories of them, and he's saying, you always obeyed. You're, you're, you're the kid that, that you know, you, you, you saw the right things to do when you did them. That wasn't like that. He's saying, you always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So I'm reading that verse, I'm meditating on it, I'm looking out the window, I see this crab tree, and a question comes to my, my mind, one that I'm going to attempt to answer today. And this is, this is my sermon. I'm going to attempt to answer this, this one question. Whose job is spiritual growth? Say, we read the scripture, Philippians 2, 12 through 13, is it my job? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Wow, okay, so I guess that's my job. But then verse 13 says, for it is who? God. It's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So is it, is it God's job? Or is there a mysterious partnership between God and me? So that's the question I want to answer as we look into the word. Whose job is spiritual growth? Some Christians have taken the position that sanctification, that's the theological word for growing spiritually, is solely God's job. And they say, I can't do anything at all. So what do you do? You just close your eyes. You get up in the morning, you wake up, close your eyes for a few moments, and you say, okay, I can't do anything. Spiritual growth is all you, God, so now I'm just going to wait, and I'm going to wait for you to do everything. Sometimes that sounds good, but whenever I try just to wait and let God do everything, I tend to drift. I find myself compromising. I do. I get lazy spiritually. I mean, when I, when I say, okay, God, you just do it. I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to trust in you. I begin to compromise. I don't sacrifice. 
I, I know I'm in this battle. We wage war against the flesh, right? Sinful nature. The world, the world is always screaming at me. Here's where you get your identity and your values. And then the devil and the demons of hell are tormenting me and seducing me and tempting me. When I go dormant, I just flounder. I, I, I'm stumbling through life. I know I can't do anything without Christ. I get that, all right? But does that mean I don't do anything? That somehow I don't engage my, my will? Some Christians object to any call for strenuous effort by saying that human effort is opposed to grace. And when you talk about costly discipleship, like what Pastor Joel talked about last week, when you talk about sacrifice or obedience, I mean, that scripture Paul was saying to the Philippians, as you've always obeyed. Sometimes when you talk about obedience or sacrifice or costly discipleship, you can be labeled as a legalist. Now, I've done that. Oh, you're, you're, you're into legalism. You're a legalist. Now, that's one extreme. Just to kind of be out there drifting. Well, the other extreme is taking the marine approach to spiritual life. All right, we have a former marine here in, in, our, in our congregation. And so... What does a what does ramble Christians do? <laughs> now, if you're the younger folks, don't even know what I what I'm saying. I say ramble Christians. They go, "Who's that?" You know, the tough guy. The the you know, you just you work out your salvation. I mean, you do it and you do it hard, and you get up at four thirty in the morning and you pray for two hours and you memorize, you know, books of the Bible. You know your theology. I mean, you work really, really, really hard, and it's all up to you. Now, I've been there. I've done that. Either extreme doesn't work. So whose job is spiritual growth? Is it my job to tough it out and and try real hard, or is it all a God's job where I just kind of you know, fold my, my arms like this and say, okay, God, you do it. Or is there a mysterious partnership? I propose that sanctification is a joint project between us and God. And that's what I see in this scripture. If you look closely, it's, it's right there. Now, more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, but it's God who works in you. Paul says, first of all, work out your own salvation, which means you have a role in it, right? There's a role that you and I have to play. I thought of the, the illustration of the 
Israelites crossing the Jordan River into the promised land. You can read about that in Joshua chapter 3. It's a great story. Here's the, the people on the one side of the Jordan River. By the way, I'm gonna, I have this privilege on, on our sabbatical of going to the promised land, the holy land, I should say, Israel. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to be right there at the Jordan River. We're going to see the Galilee. We get a chance to, to go on the Sea of Galilee and go on a boat and, and check it out. I mean, it's just going to be so exciting going to Jerusalem. But we'll see the Jordan River. And there the, the, the nation of Israel is standing on this one side of the Jordan River. God said, I'm going to get you over to the promised land. He told the priest in verse 8, tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in the river. That's something that they are to do. There's obedience tied into the command, right? Verse 13, and as soon as the priest who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of the earth, Here's what they did. As soon as they set their foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Well, no man can do that. But God wasn't going to miraculously create this wall of separation between the waters, create this dry ground so that the nation of Israel could walk over into the promised land until first there was what? Obedience. So what did the priests do? They put their foot in the water. And when they put their foot in the water, they watched this miracle. There's this mysterious partnership. Second, Paul goes on to say, for it is God who is at work in you. You're not doing this project on your own. Sanctification is empowered by God. It's impossible without him, right? So when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he doesn't mean that you should do this with a sense of anxiety, not knowing whether, whether my work is going to be good enough for God. Instead, the phrase is used to refer to a humble attitude of dependence. And it's just, I can't do this on my own. I can't, I can't make growth happen in my life. I can't produce fruit on my own. It's God who works in me. So I do this with fear and trembling. Communicating, God, I'm totally dependent on you. And so this would be a great time for a word picture of what it looks like using a contemporary image, all right? The fishing opener is next weekend. All of you are going to be here next Sunday. So I'm going to use a boat illustration to illustrate this truth. I want you to picture in your mind two boats, a motorboat 
right? Okay, you got a picture of one right there. And a sailboat. Okay, there's a sailboat, there's a motorboat. In a motorboat, think about the differences. In a motorboat, who's in control? That guy right there. Okay, he's in control. He starts that, that, that motor. He goes whatever speed he wants to go. He goes where he wants to go, when he wants to go. He's in control, all right? And then you got to sail. Sailing is different. Now, I've never, I've never sailed before. So real quick, I, I know there's some, some boat people here, all right? I mean, are you a powerboat kind of person or are you a sailboat kind of person? Any, any sailors in the, in the... There's a couple. Look at that. Wow. A few. Oh, I've never done it before. But I know that there's, there's work associated with sailing. With the, the motorboat, I mean... Boom, you got the power there. It's different. He's moving. Sailboat is different. It's not a passive hobby. You have a role to play in it, right? You hoist the sails. You steer with the rudder. You tack, going back and forth. So you can even move while going into the wind by zigzagging. If you're a sailor, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But you're ultimately what? And utterly dependent on the wind. You got to have the wind. See, I'm not in control. If the wind doesn't blow, I'm not going anywhere. But when the wind blows, man, amazing things can happen. Wind is often used in the scripture as a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. You should check it out. Do a little study on that. Acts 2, 1 says, When the day of Pentecost came, the church was all together in one place. Suddenly, what? A sound like a blowing, violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. Wind. John 3, 8, Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus uses the metaphor of wind The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is like the wind. It's free. It's powerful. Whoever's born of the Spirit and lives by the Spirit has been filled with the wind of God. In fact, God is within us. And what is our job in this whole realm of spiritual growth? It's a question we want to Answer. I think if we use the illustration of the sailboat versus a motorboat, if we're sailboats, God is the one who supplies the wind. 
So spiritual growth is a mysterious partnership where we engage our will. And God does all the work. It's kind of a paradox, but I believe it's true. But we got to engage. Spiritual growth is a mysterious partnership where we engage our will and God does all the work. So what are the rules of engagement? Or how do you work out your salvation? Understanding it's all God, but you do have a part to play. Number one, the first rule is non-negotiable. Here it is. You engage by spending time with God in his word and prayer, get involved in the fellowship of his body. Those are non-negotiables. I used to kind of fight with the Lord on, on some of these negotiables. I would say, okay, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be adamant. I'm going to spend the time. I'm going to do it. And I got legalistic. So then I would kind of swing over onto this side. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm only going to do these things when I really feel like you're, you're prompting me in the spirit to get into the word, meditate on the word, and pray, and hang out and fellowship with the body of Christ. That doesn't work either. And then I just determined in my heart that a non-negotiable in terms of my relationship with God is getting in the word. I'm not going to make it a legalistic thing, but I have to be in the word. I have to have daily intake of God's word. And I have to be in communion with him. I need to pray. And I want to pray. I'm going to take the time to do those things. I'm not going to be legalistic about it. So those are non-negotiables, number one. The, The first one is spending that time with the Lord. But secondly... Here's where the wind, I believe, a little bit works in the illustration for me. The second rule of engagement is asking questions in daily dialogue with God. It's called interacting with the Holy Spirit. Ask questions. I can't stress that enough. You can't live one day without asking people questions. Think about it. You've already asked. Some people that ask more questions than others. But even those of you who don't ask many questions, you've asked a couple of them already today. Like, who's making the coffee? Or what time are we leaving for church? Or what are we going to have after church for lunch? You ask questions. Why not ask God questions? And dialogue with him. I challenge you to interact in conversation with God by asking him questions. I'm learning to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you help me overcome yesterday's mistakes, sin, guilt, and disappointments? I ask him that. He always comes back, of course I'm willing. It's right there in the word. If we're sailboats, God's the one who supplies the wind, right? So why not ask, 
Where are the winds of the Spirit blowing in my life? Where and how is God at work in me? How about this? What, is, what sin is he seeking to free me from? God, how are you seeking to transform me in this moment? He's our counselor. And what we're seeking to do as we walk by the Spirit is to set our sail. Too many times we're like this sailboat right here. That sailboat's not going anywhere. You've got to do some things. And then as you do that, ask the Lord to give you ears to hear his voice. Why not determine today to get your sailboat ready? Pull up the sail and interact with God and watch how he blows on your sailboat. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Maybe sometimes afraid of where God's taking you. I don't want to go into these waters. But you will, you will hear his voice. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. When's the last time you heard the Lord speaking to you? I mean, really, in his word or just while you're sitting here in worship? And you just know it's God. I long for that kind of relationship with God, that interaction. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in your word today? How is this circumstance? What do you want to say to me in this circumstance? If you give the Holy Spirit a chance, you'll enter into this incredible dialogue with him. And you'll sense the wind. It's like, man, I'm getting my sail up and I'm moving. I can't create this wind. But once it's blowing, I'm going where God has called me to go. So I'm going to ask the communion stewards if they'll come. We're going to close today in communion. Be seated. First of the month, we we typically spend the last part of our service just at the Lord's table, the greatest table of all. And communion at Gateway is not just for the members of Gateway Church; it's open to all who have named the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. So it's a time for us just to be quiet and reflective. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. His work on the cross makes my work on earth possible. I mean, if he didn't do that for us, there's nothing that we could do that would have any value. He provides salvation. It's all his work. I don't work for my salvation. Paul isn't saying in this scripture that we read 
work for your salvation. He didn't say that. He said work out your salvation. But I don't work for it. Thinking that somehow I can earn it. I can never earn it. I don't deserve it. I just humbly accept it. And so today we say thank you for your work. For your work on the cross. So I'd like to read some scriptures. And as I do, allow the Holy Spirit just to touch your heart. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's the Apostle Paul writing about the Lord's table. And this is what he says. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we take that piece of bread here, this cracker, and, and we, we eat that cracker. And, and in our hearts and in our minds, it points to his body that was broken for us. And we say thank you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So that's what we want to do at this time, all right? just want to just allow the Holy Spirit to, to bring self-examination and to say to the Lord, Lord, this is what I'm struggling with. I know my sins are ultimately forgiven in you, but I want my heart to be cleansed this morning from all unrighteousness and so I make confession and so confess those sins to the Lord and then eat the bread and drink the cup if you're not a believer today is the day of your salvation just cry out to the Lord and say Jesus save me save me from my sin and he'll do it you'll be born again on this very day and so we're going to distribute the bread and the cup. In Jesus' name.